Hello and welcome to Table for Five with no reservations. Take a seat at the table for a fresh, sweet, salty, tart, and pleasantly bitter conversation. Thank you for taking a seat at the table. In this episode, we'll be talking about just bad advice, the good, the bad, and the ugly of what people told us about parenting. Seated tonight, I have Jen Dunn from Vancouver, British Columbia, Rachel Flanagan from St. Paul, Minnesota, Hey. Jamie Ramos from Denver, Colorado, Hello. Kim McIsaac from Boston, Massachusetts, and myself, Tabitha Cabrera from Phoenix, Arizona. So we're going to chat about all the lovely things people told us before we were parents, as we're parenting, and now to the present. So Rachel, want to start us off with what you think about this topic? Oh, first, I just feel like it starts out with like false. It's just fake. It's like you have a baby shower people bring you one case of diapers, like that's going to get you anywhere. And then they give you a card about how sweet the snuggles are and how good they smell. And really you have drool in your hair and like someone else's poop. You're never going to sleep again. And when they say that, you think, you know what that means? You don't know what that means yet. (laughs) It's not college. It's not time alone when you're waiting to see if your kid's asleep. Like it's, I don't know, I'm living a particular shade of on eggshells. And I do not think that this was in a baby shower card. No, I do not. It is far more than like outfits. This, my veil is like not in the baby shower cards. <laughs> yeah, no. What about you guys? I mean, I, I just feel like this life is like filled with it from baby shower cards to melatonin suggestions. I just shut up. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> just give her melatonin she'll sleep oh yeah i think that blow the... dart would not work so a melatonin can just take it to the moon <laughs> no I'm... i think that's uh the first terrible advice that people give you or you read in a baby book which is sleep when the baby sleeps mm-hmm. yes what if your baby doesn't sleep <laughs> a b What's... what if they're old enough now to open the door and leave yes yeah like, what there do you are do safety then? concerns to that yeah. Well, also like even just the idea of having a newborn baby, typical neurotypical. Yes. It's like they don't sleep that long. It's not no. like it's easy for us to like, oh, I'm going to sleep for an hour and pop back up and then sleep another, you know, and, and then even then you don't realize how anxious you're going to be because right before you leave the freaking hospital, some pediatrician sits you down and tells you all the ways you're probably going to kill your baby. <laughs> don't give them a blanket. Don't give them a pillow. If you're going to swallow them, make sure you swallow them perfectly tight. Don't do this. Don't do Like check if they're breathing. And you're like, oh, and then you're supposed to go home and just sleep when they sleep instead of constantly yeah. sticking your ear in the freaking bassinet, making sure they're alive because you're so worried. And like, waking them up. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> when they actually are sleeping because you're not sure if they're alive. Because you're like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yes. Uh, I remember when we left the NICU, they made us watch like five videos that were on VHS tapes. Hello. It was great. And they said, you can't take your baby home until you watch these five videos because my child was in the NICU. The thing that still floats back to us is one of the slogans for the video was uh, take a break, don't shake. So, oh, like, which actually was is that your top I mean, that's word now? Reasonable advice. Take a break, don't shake don't the baby. Shake. Not great yeah. wording. No. <laughs> But I thought when they rolled in these videos and they were like, you have to watch these videos before you can take your baby home. I'm like, so if I just had came to the hospital and had a baby and got to leave two days later, I wouldn't have to watch five VHS tapes about oh how God. to parent my child. I had to watch them and we weren't in the NICU. So if that makes you feel better. Oh, great. That's good. That I, I never watched a video. Qualify 100 years ago. I love it. 
but yeah. isn't that the funny thing they're it's like, like that luck, moment Kim. they're like take <laughs> home this brand new baby but you might get so frustrated that you shake it and cause brain damage bye <laughs> like i like, know <laughs> it is wild it is wild and i think that's part of the thing that you don't realize is like you're recovering like moms who go to the hospital and birth a baby or have a c-section or whatever or when you've been preparing to take home a baby for however many years and then that you just are home with this small child that you have to keep oh. alive and people do make it seem like it's like butterflies and rainbows and sparkles and it really is like no sleep breastfeeding nipples on fire you know pumping every two hours or whatever the situation is your baby has to eat you know so yeah. you're awake I have never been more tired in my life than having an infant child at home never I breastfeed I couldn't produce milk so when I could it was one breast I could get milk out of it would take for it would literally be when she would I would try to breastfeed she'd nap I'd still try to pump and get what I could out of it yeah um, and I remember and my aunt flew in when I had her to um, help me out. And she came, the, flew in the day I came home from the hospital. And a couple of days in, she went went to my mom's because you guys know me, I'm a little control freak in my yeah, house. My and I couldn't have anything out of place. And I, I have severe OCD, which we'll talk about that at some point on this lovely podcast. <laughs> but I spilt the, the milk, the oh, one ounce no. I got out of two hours. And mm. I was devastated. And my aunt said, no need to cry over spilled milk. <laughs> No need, you know, but it was a constant pressure of having to breastfeed that, yeah. and I just couldn't produce any milk, and she just wasn't gonna breastfeed. So, yeah, that's that another really thing is like all the things they convince you that you have to be doing. Yes, you pressure. Know, more people have t- touched my breasts in the four, 36 hours I was in the hospital than I've ever. In my, I mean, there was people in there pushing, squeezing, massaging, moving. I mean, just trying to get the milk flowing. It was like. I better. <laughs> yeah. Here they are. My name is Jennifer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I didn't even do the powder. I was like, oh no, I'm not mixing anything. I bought the, my doctor called it the liquid gold. I mean, it was a little thing where you put the bottle, the nipple on top of it, and you just oh, yeah. it right out of the thing. It was all pre-made. Yeah. I mean, with breastfeeding, like breast milk is amazing. It's great. And mm-hmm. I, I always yeah. say like it's free for one. Yes. Like free. Natural. Yes. It's from our bodies. It's right there. Like the convenience of it is so amazing. Mm-hmm. But no one told me how hard it was. And I, I mean, I had my first in 2015. It was like the biggest thing. Breast is best. Breastfeed your kids don't do formula, but like so much like external pressure. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to breastfeed my kids. This is great. And then you don't realize like it is hard. So it's hard. Painful. My kid was screaming and crying all the time. And like four months in, I was like, I don't think I'm producing enough. And they tell you like, oh no, you are. You just can't measure it. You just don't know, but you are, you are. A lot of people think at this point, because like, you know, your, your breasts are going back to normal. So it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel that way, but you are, but we just like, he was so fussy all the time. And then I, you know, we started supplementing and like, it was like one of the great reliefs of my life like I know my kids eating he was happier so something wasn't working and I know from having another child that like my body wasn't producing correctly and then like waking up every two hours at night even when my baby was asleep to pump to try to keep it up yeah like breastfeeding was like the hardest thing for me and I was it just added so much anxiety and it really added to postpartum depression I had I I just felt like a failure inadequate like why like my friends my one friend she had three babies back to back. She could have, she could have breastfed a country. I mean, they just latched on the second she had them. <laughs> I was like, you are an overachiever because I have my kid's face smothered into my breast and she wanted nothing to do with it. Yeah. I got so upset about it. And so they sent in a, like they send in the psych nurse because, and she said, 
honey, you're fine. You're just a new mom. Like just, you're just a new mom. And they do that, you know, the checklist. Do, are, are you are depressed? You do you do oh, this? Do you, are you, are you an alcoholic? I was like, no. And behind me on the tray was like all this champagne that my friends had brought yeah. in. <laughs> Booze everywhere. I'm like, birthing room. It's like, it's not mine. <laughs> it's hard. I think the realistic expectations are so far from what is talked about. Yeah. And I've talked about this with my friends before is like you walk into it thinking that it's going to be one thing and it is completely different than what it was. Like for us, we had a NICU baby. I pumped. He would, he couldn't latch because he was on a feeding, um, you know, tube and he was too small, all that stuff. And I pumped only because he was in the NICU and it was the only thing I thought I could do to help him at that time, which is the only reason I was getting up every two hours to pump for him because he was being cared for by nurses and cords and, you know, all of this stuff. And I pumped for 10 months. He latched at like four months. And then he was like, this is taking too long. <laughs> He's like, what? what are we doing here? This yeah. is for the birds. No. And so I pumped for 10 months, which was terrible, just terrible. It's so isolating too. I think when you are strictly pumping because you're taking so much time to be in another room from everyone else, you know, the baby's with you or not. And you have to wake up so much more. Clean it. Yeah. So cleaning all this stuff. I'd get half an ounce. It would be time to clean it up. And she'd be up again. And I'd literally have to do the whole process yep. over again. Yep. It was exactly. so stressful. I remember the, the nurse that came over and said, the last check-in nurse that came in said, this baby's never going to latch on. I said, well, thank you, ma'am. I'll go ahead and pour myself a glass of wine right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. I poured a glass of wine. And when You're she like, left, that was it. Twist that nipple on. Yeah. And we're done. <laughs> I was at, I was, we adopted and Celie was literally, it was Thursday. She was born on Tuesday night. It was Thursday. We were home. I'm sitting crisscross applesauce on my floor. Got like a Weimariner, like on my leg and a baby in my arm. And Celie started crying and my sister-in-law's like watching and we're talking. And before you know it, I'm like unscrewing a bottle because I can do a, a refill on a tint bottle with one dirty glove. Uh, so I used that to open the bottle I like scoop in and shake the water, give Celie the bottle. She drinks two ounces. She's two days old, like a chunk. And she, I like flip her off and I'm burping her. And I'm like still talking to Mindy about the same subject. And she's like, what was that? Two ounces. And I'm like, yeah, that's, they said only like a half ounce every hour or something, but we're just going for it and making longer stretches. And She's like, you're done. I would still be adjusting trig on my nipple and you are through with this. She's <laughs> like, if anybody judges you, show them that it's two minutes. Like, <laughs> she was so ticked because like she had lost two years of her life for two boys each. And like, it took forever. And then it was like this balance of the other boob. And I was like, okay. I definitely had no interest at breastfeeding at 17. Like that was just yeah. not gonna happen. <laughs> you're like, these and are perfect. Gonna... I was like, First of all, I'm not being stuck doing all the feeding. <laughs> you know, because all these horror stories, how everyone's telling oh, you, you're going to be, you're going to be up out. all night and you're going to be midnight feedings and this, that, and the other thing. And secondly, he was nine, five. So like, no, thank you. Uh, and he was like a pig. Like he, he drank the whole little newborn bottle at the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing gone. Um, Alyssa was 10, four. Oh Still my no God. Thank you. And I was, was only like 20. Three month old. Yep. I was like, I'm still good. I formula 
That is best. I wish I knew that line then. <laughs> that is best. Whatever you choose. Yeah. I, Kara, I did attempt to breastfeed her once in the hospital and she like didn't do anything. But like she didn't even like eat formula. I mean, she's still the pickiest eater ever and she's 18. She only drank like a quarter of an ounce when we were leaving the hospital. So like, I'm glad I didn't try to breastfeed her because I don't think it would have went well. And then with Lexi, I was like, well, she's my last. She's my fourth. I'm a stay-at-home mom now. Like, you know, maybe I should try it. I said to my husband, yeah, I think maybe I'll, maybe I'll try it even, you know, whatever. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. I didn't know any of these nightmares that you guys are talking about. So the nurse comes in, which is really odd because they always try to push it, push it, push it, you know? Um, she goes, yeah. She's like, if you do it, you're going to have to, she's like, your breasts are really large. Thank you. <laughs> she's like, so you're going to have to hold it up like this, like away from the baby. So you don't like squash our face and whatever you do on this side, you're going to have to do on that side. And if you don't do it on that side, you'll have to pump to make it like even. And she's saying like all these things. And I'm like, oh, I'm just like, okay, okay. Oh, okay. And then the nurse leaves and my nope. husband goes, don't even think about it. Like, you got enough on your plate. No. <laughs> No, no. Have some formula on the way home. <laughs> yeah. She didn't. She didn't make it sound um, very appealing. <laughs> it's not no matter how you do it if you breastfeed if you pump if you even formulas smells terrible after it's been sitting out it's the worst smell on the entire planet so expensive it makes cottage cheese in like four and a half minutes so gross it is the grossest thing you'd know yeah nora our daughter she latched she was all about it the breastfeeding (laughs) she latched like a why is that not surprising (laughs) but the awesome thing with both of my kids like Nora 10 months she was like I'm done with this we're done breastfeeding no more breastfeeding for you I'm on to regular food you put the thing away have a nice day no more (laughs) of this so I've heard horror stories of like weaning off uh, breastfeeding which is hard and painful and with her I knew she, I was the same with you Kim I, she was my last baby and I was kind of like sad about not having that time with her and all of that stuff um, but she was like whatever mom we're done with this get over Pass. it <laughs> yeah yeah oh my gosh so what are the other things have people told you that like strike you now or something that's come up recently that you're just like why would you say that to me that's terrible advice so one thing that happened to me is it wasn't really advice but when I was pregnant with Kara who was my third who came after my daughter with autism I was on the phone with my cousin maybe we were like on the computer I forget which one and she was like oh can you get the baby tested for autism and I'm like no there's no test that you can get while you're pregnant Thanks for bringing it up and put it in my head. Yeah. And my sister hated her for like two years after that. <laughs> <laughs> I had all the tests. Of course, you can't test for autism, but I did have all of the, you know, the blood work. I didn't do the um, amnio, but I had all, you know, all the blood work and genetic testing. Yeah. Which, yeah. I just feel like that's such an insensitive thing to say to somebody. Of like, course it is. People are dead. And a child with special needs. Yeah. yeah. It's like, thanks. I'm trying everything to not like obsess about it and think about it 24 seven. So thank you for putting it in my head, like the five minutes that it wasn't in there. Right. Yeah. I had to do all the testing because I was considered like a geriatric pregnancy or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're like, we should do the genetic testing. Okay. I was told 
<laughs> literally the worst advice I was ever told. Not that I wouldn't have spoiled. I want to be clear. My daughter is spoiled. I know that I overcompensate for everything. I feel I overcompensate for autism on many levels. I don't think I would have been a strict parent anyway, but my friend said, don't say no to her. She's a baby. They don't need to hear the word. No, they have their whole life to hear the word. No. And by like three, I had a monster <laughs> because yeah. I'd never heard the word. No. I mean, I was like, Oh, well my friend had these, perfect children literally had these perfect children I'm like well should they shouldn't say no to them <laughs> yeah. say no yeah say no to kids start early <laughs> say no to kids yeah. yeah no I was gonna say my thing that always drives me insane and I think too having an autistic child where these things didn't work is I call them the jests so it's like oh my kid won't sleep at night. like oh just let him cry it out or oh just potty training's oh really God. different oh, just show them that episode of whatever children's show where they potty train and they'll potty train. Like all those just, oh, he doesn't talk to, oh, just keep talking to him and he'll talk. Like those things drive me insane. Cause it's like, no, it's not just like, there's so many other things going on in my kid's brain. Like that's not just going to happen. So don't say, oh, just do this because maybe that worked for you or maybe it worked for your sister's cousin's mother, but it's not going to work for me. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and going off what Jen said about the saying no, see, we have the opposite. So we literally couldn't say the word no. Could or not. she would just, yeah. we had to came up, come up with other ways of saying no without actually saying no because it would yeah. set up uh-uh. such a meltdown. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it does create a monster, but it also created a monster when you said no. So either way, <laughs> yeah. Roll the dice. A- no, I Roll the- I've, I've said it many times. I got some pushback on some people from it, but I often will say, Kaya, this isn't autism. This is her bratism because there's a very big difference, but it's a very fine line, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and I think that what people don't understand is that like a temper tantrum is different than a meltdown, yes. Yeah, but Ooh. a meltdown can start as a temper tantrum. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I've had many that had started as a temper tantrum, but then they just can't cope. So then it spirals and turns into something, you know, way bigger that they can't come back from that you can't help them, you know, calm down from. Um, yeah. So yeah, you, when, gotta pick your, you gotta pick your battles. Yeah, That's the yeah, thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you're in that situation, especially in public, like I feel like people are throwing uh, advice your way all the time. Like in case you're only podcast listening, there is five women nodding. Yes. In public, it's harder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I remember after having Nora, I took Nixon out for the first time and I was still recovering from my C-section from her. And I took him to the library. He was stoked to be out, blah, blah, blah. He didn't want to leave. He was nonverbal at the time. We're outside the library in downtown Phoenix, Arizona, if you imagine what that street was looking like he was laying in front of the library not wanting to leave I could not lift him because I was recovering from a c-section and this guy walks by me and he was like it looks like you're having a really hard time Uh you know what's going on and I'm like sir if you could just please leave me alone and not make commentary to what is happening right here we will get to the car eventually just give us a minute quit staring yeah. Be on your way, sir. Yeah. I I just really hate it in public. And I think that is one thing that is like a gem of good advice is whatever you're doing is right. You know, whatever you're doing is right. Don't let people tell you that you need to be doing something else a different way. Because if you're seeking advice from people, more power to you. That's great. Hopefully they give you something good. If yeah, people are yeah. giving you unsolicited advice, like the general public, Take a hard pass. (laughs) Hard pass on that. Well, 
it's like that thing you're judged either way. Like, yeah. Yes. I give in a lot in public because I just want to like, for us, it, if it yes. leads to a meltdown, yes. that's mm-hmm. it. And yeah, so people, it. and like, we're not, we're in, I mean, we're in public. I mean, not this last year with COVID, but like we're in public some of the time, but not as much as other people. So at home is when we can really like focus on stuff, do discipline that works for our family and works for my kid who's, you know, on the spectrum, different, a little different than typical children. In public, I'm like, let's just, here, have it. Let's get out of here. Like, I don't care. So many food snacks out of the house. I would rather have you eat this candy bar that you just screamed at me for than have to deal with you freaking out on the floor because you're so upset that we're in a grocery store. And then that person walking by that's saying something or staring, they're like, oh, you're just giving into your kid. And it's like, well, my kid walked into this building uncomfortable. My kid has anxiety being out in social situations. So my kid sees something he wants. I say, no, yeah, it's kind of like a typical kid whining or being a brat about it, but that can lead to so much more for my kid. So I'm giving in and then they're going to judge you if you give in, they're going to judge you if your kid's screaming on the floor. Mm -hmm. So it's like, whatever you do, you. Yeah. I I always get, I always get from people, does she always need to have her iPad? Oh my God. Tabitha's saying from strangers, I get it all the time from old people at a grocery store in line because it is at a volume hundred of Elmo, but listen, lady. And I said to this, I said to this old man who said to me, does she have to have that on? And I said, well, listen, sir, you can have that on and listen to Elmo for the 37 seconds you're in this line, or you're going to listen to my kid rip this door apart. So I suggest you take the Elmo option because you don't want what's behind door number two. No. <laughs> when my kid is watching something at a hundred dressed like a drag queen in a dance costume from Auntie Kimmy, do we have to talk about it? Can't you just tell that something's different? We're watching Elmo in yeah. a bra. Like we're, we're dressed like a drag queen yeah. in a cart being pushed, you know, like I, you can't. Yeah. Oh yeah. Please see what's going on here. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. It is mind blowing sometimes. I mean, and I've had the opposite too, where one time I was at the park with um, Nixon and Nora by myself and neither one of them wanted to leave, which is quite the situation with my five, two stature trying to muscle out my giant children out of the park. But this mom whose son was wearing a helmet, I think for like, you know, shaping purposes or whatever, he must've been like a year and a half or something. She saw me like wrangling them and all this stuff. And then she looked me directly in the face and she said, you got this. <laughs> I was like, I love Thank it. Thank you so much. We just gave you a surge of power right like, away. We're going to make it to the car. Thank you so much. Yes, I do have this. <laughs> You're so nice. Thank you, ma'am, whoever you are, mystery person. <laughs> that was so, so nice. What about your family? How did your family, did your family throw any gems of uh, terrible advice your way, pre-baby or afterward? There was a lot of judgment for yeah. sure. Yeah. I mean, there's not now because they understand, but before for sure there was. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. About having a baby? No, just or- about how I was raising her. Oh, I okay. had sleeping. Yeah. Food, all that kind of stuff before they really understood. There was a lot of judgment in that and a lot of not necessarily she'll eat when she's hungry, but it was sort of that mentality. And so it was like, there was that sort of disconnect because she wasn't going to eat when she was hungry. You know what I mean? So yeah, 
And I think this is where for me having kids young is like almost a blessing in disguise because both of, I mean, I did get the judgment like with my mother-in-law because she used to watch my son. And then when I was around, she'd be like, oh, he doesn't like this. He likes it like this. And that, you know, that typical stuff. But she was there to see you know, she helped, she watched my daughter while I was in college and I lived with my mom. So like they saw firsthand all the stuff. Um, so I didn't get really that. So I think in that way, I was lucky because a lot of people have that where it's like they, they're trying to explain and people just don't really get it. Cause they're like, like Jamie said, I love that. The just like, Oh, she'll just eat when she's hungry or Nope, she won't. She will not eat. If you have a food aversion, you will not eat when you're hungry. You, you won't eat at all. Like literally they saw it so like I didn't get that stuff so that was and it's hard when you're young because you get a lot of judgment you get judgment from doctors you get you know that nobody ever wants to listen to you they kind of look at you like you're young you don't know what you're talking about I knew what I was talking about I probably was more with the program then than I am now to be perfectly honest (laughs) now I'm like I don't remember anything that's happening but because I'm older now they definitely doctors take me more seriously than they did when my kids are young you get that kind of look like you know like you don't know what you're talking about but as far as our family they were so involved because of us being young and they were still you know helping us and we were still living at home and stuff like that so I feel like that was kind of good for us we didn't have to kind of do that thing where we had to constantly explain it they kind of got it because they were they were right there you know on the sidelines while it was happening I remember being on a business trip and I went back to work we get a year of maternity leave in Canada my boss called me and asked me to come back at nine months and um, I was very career driven prior. And so I was actually really excited to go back. I had an, I had hired an in-home nanny for my daughter, whatever, whatever. I traveled just shortly after going back to work. And I remember being at a show when I called my mom to check in on Gaia. I hope my mom never hears this episode. She's a wonderful grandma, by the way. She's mm-hmm. amazing. We're in a wonderful place now, but we were not when Kaya was a baby. I remember her yelling at me saying, this kid is nine months old and she doesn't even know her name. She won't even look at me. And I vividly remember because I knew in my gut at nine months old, there was something different about my child. And I remember being so upset that she's like, basically, I put her in front of the TV too much. I don't interact with my daughter. So that's why she doesn't know her own name. Yeah. I remember that vividly. I was in a bathroom stall when I called my mom. Yeah. I I had a family member say the same thing about Alyssa because she loved Barney. She was obsessed with Barney from like seven months. dinosaur. I know. And um, when my mother-in-law used to watch her, she ended up having like a herniated disc in her back. So sometimes she would like sit in the pack and play with toys and watch Barney. And she was happy. I mean, she was happy. She would, you know, be excited. It didn't cause her autism. Somebody in the family said it. And I mean, they didn't know they were younger and I can recognize that now, but at the time, yeah, Mary wasn't happy. And you already feel these things. You already feel these things yourself. Yeah. You're already thinking, did I let them watch too much TV? Yeah. Or did I eat something bad when I was pregnant? Or did I do something? Did I not give them enough attention? You're you're always thinking these things as a mom, even I though say that because you know the guilt, right? You have the yeah. overwhelming guilt. And I was in the doctor's office and I was crying, and it was my doctor, and she said, Jen, it's with autism, it's it's literally the luck of the draw. She said, we have people that drink and do hard drugs their whole pregnancy and their children come out fine. It's literally, you did nothing, but yeah, it's, like it's human nature as a mom that you're always, no matter what it is, you're always second guessing yourself. You're always, you know, you're always looking for a reason or analyzing stuff. And, you know, with typical kids too, it's just, it's just, you know, 
it's different, but you still, you still do it, you know? Yeah. These expectations of what parenting looks like, Mm -hmm. that isn't really the the path that it is. I feel like you can make judgment, but you're only understanding one topic. And for my daughter, who is more layered than a hundred year old tree, you can't talk to me about one layer. Don't talk to me about sleep. You don't understand. Like there was this one time along Jen's lane, like uh, my parents were watching Seely. My mom had gone blind right before my daughter was born and they were having like a struggle. And Seely is hardwired for her way. And we didn't know how to articulate that. There was, if there was diagnosis, there was an understanding. I can't remember the timeline, but it was like, like three and a half or four. And Seely does not understand my mom is blind. She does not understand her own power. She does not understand. And when my mom was trying to explain that you can't behave a certain way. Seely laid on the couch and she bucked like a pike, her, her legs all the way up and then kicked my mom in the face who didn't see it coming. And so my mom got like a heel in each eye and didn't know. And, and, you know, until impact and they called me and I'm on the car in the car driving home from where I was. And they were like, you tell her to apologize. And I'm like, when did she eat? What is the whole story? I don't care what you expect her to do. My kid's not going to kick my mom in the eyes easily. So that means she's on her back. That means she's struggling the whole time. Like what is leading to this? Because one layer of the onion is not the story here. Like you, you cannot talk to me about this one part. We're far more complicated than that. Yeah. Yeah. I think too, it's just like, and, and that's the thing to people. So it's like, you know, like, oh, you, your kid must've struggled with this as a child and you solved that problem and it helped with things. And that's not how it works for our kids. Like with Jesse, yeah. sleep was such an issue. And like Kim was saying, of course, I'm freaking out about the sleep. I thought like if my kid actually slept before we knew it was autism, that his development would have pick a better up. day. Because I was like, yeah. he's not sleeping. And that's why he's not developing like in the the typical way. And so, but all the time people are like, oh, he just needs to sleep or, you know, like, and I'm like, like one time he, we were at a preschool, like parent teacher conference kind of thing. And they're like, oh yeah, he's just always so tired. And we had discussed this before and I snapped a little. I'm like, yeah, my kid doesn't sleep. I've tried everything. We're working on it. We're working with the doctor on it. And, you know, like, I mean, he, he's always slept just enough. It's never been like a full night's rest. And so I was like, I'm just like so frustrated. My family telling me this, teachers telling me this, doctors, you know, it's like, yeah, I want him to sleep too. I'm, I've done everything I can. I just love how people assume that you're not trying. I'm trying. Don't partake in a brainstorm with me in Target either. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't care if you think melatonin is going to fix it. Or if you think hugging them or turning the nightlight on or what, like get out of here with your, you don't look like this. And have it be a pillowcase problem or nightlight. Yeah. Every contraption trying to get her to sleep. I had the the tent. I had her crib, which she don't think she ever slept in her crib. Um, mm-hmm. I had the bassinet in the bed. I had the bassinet beside the bed. I had the tent on the bed. I had the tent beside the bed. She just didn't sleep. It didn't yeah. matter where I put her. She didn't sleep. Alyssa slept her first year and my son slept. He was a great sleeper. So it wasn't until we got into like her second year that we saw this, that changing. So, and while she was in the crib, it was kind of like, well, Yike. you can have a party. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> Once they get out of the crib. Once they get out of the crib. Once the they get out of the crib. It's a different story. Oh my God, and it's doorknobs. 
another thing I want to mention is I feel like that people in us to lose sight of the fact of like, you're not just a mom. You know, when you're thinking of all these things, you're a mom, you're a wife, you're a sister, you're a daughter. If you have a a job, you know, you you have those responsibilities, uh, your friends, there's so many other things that partake in your life. It's not like you can just be focused 24 seven on just being a mom. And it's unhealthy. I feel like when you have these expectations, like you don't realize that you think you're just going to like come in and you're going to do this and everything's going to be great. And then reality hits and that's not, you know, if for anybody and then special needs comes in to play and that's a whole nother ballgame and people do not understand, you know, they think they have the answers. Uh, My daughter still doesn't sleep and she's 24. So yeah. Well, and I think too, like you go through these levels of like for us with our son, Nixon, specifically, I felt like I always had someone telling me something. So like we started out with the NICU experience. We went through that whole thing where doctors were telling us how to care for him, you know, how to do his bath, all this stuff. And then he went to a nanny share and then we went to Montessori and the Montessori was telling us all the things we should be doing. And, you know, that he was, he was mouthing items you know, and he was above the age to do that. And you're just chronically being told. And the more you get into the special needs life, the more people you have who are trying to help, but also are giving you different perspectives on what they think you should be doing. So you're hearing from your family, you're hearing from your friends, you're hearing from providers. Every single person has an opinion about your parenting, which I think in a neurotypical setting, you get that, but not to the degree that we're getting it. You know, you just have forms and you have things in writing about what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. And it's sometimes bad advice. And I think that when you're dealing with autism or, you know, even other special needs is a lot more, you fall short because yep. you can't be all things And these kids are just not all, you know, some of them don't eat. Typically, some of them don't sleep typically. Like there's so many, you know, you have behaviors, you have all these things. Like I remember her school telling me things and it's like, yeah, maybe in school when there's four people in one classroom, that might work, but it doesn't work at home. And then even my son's school and it's like, well, you don't know what it's like to have a child with severe autism at home. Yeah. You know what I mean? While you're trying to balance, there's a lot of not necessarily advice us people would just be like well you know just do this or you know just keep her in her room it's like yeah okay she'll take the door down what do you mean keep her in her room (laughs) I think there's two that's the element of it that like kind of what Tabs was saying like our kids are evaluated all the time and you get papers what with your what your kid can't do when you're sat mm-hmm. down and told what your kid can't do like and I think all the time I, this isn't necessarily advice but something you hear is like oh Jesse well I guess like he couldn't talk like he couldn't talk in sentences and I would have one from like oh it took my kid until they were four and it was fine and then Jesse also can't eat with a fork and they're like oh my kid didn't eat like with a fork right away and now he's fine you know and it's like Oh, but my kid can't do several things. And also I have to sit at a table with a group of people talking to me about like for 15 to 30 minutes about how my kid can't do that and what that means. Yeah. Everything we do is picked apart as parents and everything we do is like training to parent our kids. And it's so much pressure. Yeah. My boss will, he'll bring it up occasionally. Um, And I've worked for him for almost a decade. And he, he always has, he always feels so bad because he remembers early, early on when I started working for him, we took a customer out for lunch and they both tag team me and Kaya sleeping. Like they really were trying to put me in my place and tell me 
like how ridiculous it was that my kid wasn't sleeping. I needed to be doing this. I need to be doing this. Mm -hmm. And he will loop back to it quite often and say to me, I'm really sorry. I feel like a real ass. And he, he's, he's probably said it 15 times over the last 10 years. Like he has, he has this almost guilt for the judgment he had and the simplicity of how it was for his boys going to bed. Right. Um, They couldn't fathom why she wouldn't go to bed. So I wasn't putting her to bed early enough. I was going to get her when she would cry. I was co-sleeping. I mean, everything that I was doing was wrong. And the reason why she wasn't sleeping. It's hard. The judgment of others is a little chip each time Mm -hmm. in your parenting. It's like, you're not doing this right. Your, your child's not potty trained in the timeline. They're supposed to be potty trained. Why are they still in diapers? You know, why are they still not able to use a fork? Can't sit at a table, Mm -hmm. you know, all of the things that and I think when we're in the presence of our children, we don't think of them in that capacity. Like I'm not chronically making a list of all the things that my son can't do. I'm with him. I'm looking at the things that he can do. I'm taking him in as a person. I don't want to run down repeatedly a list of things that you think he should be meeting because of whatever checklist you've made for this world for him to meet. you know, like, right. Yeah. I think one of the worst parts for us in, in regards to advice is like all based around a misunderstanding of regression for Celie. She's autistic, but she also is, she has fetal alcohol syndrome. And for us, that means that it's not like a wiring issue within her brain where she has to go about things in a different way. It's that the electricity turns off within that wiring occasionally. And then it goes back on later and she'll have that pathway again, it seems. So for instance, she can do something in the morning and later she cannot. Mm -hmm. And so when someone sees my kid eat her yogurt with a spoon, they can easily later judge me while I'm feeding her soup at night when she's incapable. And it's easy to be like, hold her accountable or keep her challenged or there's just so much that in regression, whether it's a big picture thing or our daily struggle, it's hard for people to see that she's not able. And so let her hold the spoon, give her uh, like just judgment. I mean, it's just like that because it's easy to not understand. This life is not one that I knew existed. So it's hard. Like, I don't expect everyone to understand, but follow our people because you got to learn this, get ready for our kids. I've said it a few times where I probably would have judged somebody as well had I have not been living this life because you can't explain this to anybody. No. You can't explain it. And so I think had I've had a typical child and I saw somebody else maybe in my shoes where their kid wasn't eating, their kid couldn't sit still without a, a device at a volume 100, running around, you know, all those kind of things, I probably would have judged because, I mean, they don't understand why she has her iPad on. They don't understand why she didn't eat food, you know, all of those kind of things. So yeah. So much plays into that too. There's the invisible disability conversation. There's the masking. There's so many components to what it is to be in public or how much she can handle, but the switch flips. I know all of our kids and when that thing turns, it is serious. Even if it wasn't for the last three trips to the grocery, like it's complicated. Yeah. And I also think that we do make mistakes. Like there are things that in hindsight, I'm like, "Mm, yeah, probably shouldn't have done it like that because now it's a thing. 
or um, probably should have not told her no for three years, four years, five years, because, you know, <laughs> because part of that was her being a three and a four year old on top of the autism or, or whatever it could be. Same thing with typical kids is things that you, I feel like parents are wired to make mistakes and then learn from them the mistakes. Yeah. You know, you're not going to learn from somebody necessarily telling you not to do something or to do something. I feel like you just learn from doing we joke all the time that Celie's already knowing her therapist. We're like, oh, I'm sure we're messing this up a little bit. We're trying the best we can. And she already has a therapist. It's fine. Like, we're doing the, we're the best we can. We're just doing the best we can. Well, for everyone out there who's listening to us, I would say take a pause before you give unsolicited advice. And instead of giving unsolicited advice, why don't you just th- throw out, how can I help you? Yeah. That would be much better. Thanks or for joining us. Yes, big smile. Yes. Thanks for joining us, episode two. Thank you for joining us at the table for episode two of our series, Talk Like a Mother. Make sure to join us for episode three, Our Walks into Motherhood. We are some of everything. See you there.